Right, we come now to the message from, or based on Ecclesiastes uh, chapters 3 and 4. I can't see anything on my screen here, Ollie. Ah, that's, thank you. <laughs> Whatever happened to justice? Just before Christmas, a 71-year-old man was released in prison, from prison in Oklahoma, in the United States, after 48 years in prison for a crime that he didn't commit. He is 71 years old now. He's got cancer. And an association called GoFundMe is funding his living and medical costs. After 48 years in prison for a crime that he didn't commit, he was entitled to just $175,000 in compensation, minus the cost of living while he was in prison. That seems absolutely crazy. Coming to this side of the pond, you'll all be aware now of the post office scandal. Between 1999 and 2015, the post office prosecuted over 700 sub-postmasters and sub-postmistresses for false accounting and theft. Some went to prison. Many more were financially ruined. Some have since died. And after 20 years of campaigning, the cases were finally reviewed on the basis that the computer system was flawed. And that has proved to be the case. At the end of 2019, the post office agreed to settle with 550 claimants although the amount set aside has since been halved, and the conviction of just 72 has been overturned. Measures are now being taken by the present government to do something about it, and the wheels have been set in motion, the Metropolitan Police has got involved after all this time, and you think, what does it take, why has it taken so long for anything to be done? These stories made, oh, I've gone too far, sorry, hatred of injustice. We all hate injustice, I'm sure. We hate knowing that innocent people are being deprived of their livelihood. We hate knowing that children are being forced into prostitution and slavery. We hate knowing that many people are being physically and verbally abused. We hate racism of all kinds. We hate the death of the unborn who've been conceived through a casual relationship and who represent just an inconvenience. The world is full of things that we hate, injustices. 
We need, therefore, to address these unpopular topics of death, injustice, hopelessness, judgment, because they stare us in the face every day of our lives. And Ecclesiastes chapters 3, chapter 3 verse 16 through to 4, 6, that Carol read a few minutes ago, covers the subject of injustice and oppression. Koheleth, that's the name or the, the title of, of the guy who, who wrote it, cries out for justice, and yet his cry seems to fall on deaf ears. He concludes that life is harsh, and then people die. Solomon, the probable author, existed some 900 years before Jesus was born. He was the wisest man to walk this earth, with the exception of Jesus. And when I was reading it and rereading it, it seemed to me to be very depressing to start with. And yet, I believe that in these verses we can actually find meaning and motivation for our lives. Solomon shares two important points with us that should help us to cope with injustice and oppression. Injustice should move us to humility. First of all, he tells us that life's injustices should stir us, should break us, should mould us, so that we are humble before God and before others. Look at verse 16. I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. Now, the I saw something else refers back to what's gone before in the previous verses. And there he stated that God's timing is all important. And something else also marks a change of emphasis. He's going to air a few grievances. He talks about what's happening under the sun. In other words, he's talking about what's happening on this earth that we can all see and probably be part of. He says that it's filled with wickedness. He talks about the place of judgment. That is the very place where the rights of the poor should be put right. But even in the place of judgment, there's wickedness there as well. I've just given the example of the post office scandal. In the very place where justice ought to have been done, it wasn't. Things were turned on their heads. It's difficult to come to terms with these things. But injustice is everywhere. You look around, as I look around, we discover that very often bad people are successful. Good ones are not. Politicians, oligarchs, Others are succeeding, whereas upright people are not. To use a, a footballing illustration, sometimes Charlie Christian is not the one that scores the winning goal. Paul Pagan is the one who puts the ball into the net with his hand. 
That's life. That's what thing, that's what happens. We have to deal with it. And let's face it, if we lived in a perfect world, then the road hog who cuts us up on the roundabout would find that his car breaks down five minutes later. We'd find that if somebody cheated us in the bank, uh, business deal, then they would go bankrupt next month. But we would find ourselves living in that same perfect world. Could we really live in a world like that? If we gossiped, we might get ulcers a few minutes later. If we spent money on something we didn't need, the food in our fridge would rot overnight. We wouldn't really want to live in a world like that, would we? We couldn't live in a world like that. But we do discover that God's patience is an incredible blessing. We all benefit from God's patience, from his love. Fortunately, he grants us mercy and grace. And that should lead us to want to become more merciful, more gracious, more understanding, rather than saying, I want it like this, this person, this person has wronged me. There are people who are in the grip of sin. There are people who are going through traumatic experiences. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that that wipes the slate clean for them all but we should understand that we were once in that position and we've come out of it by the grace of God. They're still in it and we've got to show that same grace of God to them. And if these reminders don't work, then let us remind ourselves as Solomon does that life is harsh and then we die. We may well despair because everywhere that we look it seems that those who are wicked are winning hands down. But Solomon hasn't finished his analysis yet. He goes on. God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time when every activity, a time to judge every deed. Sometimes God does judge people in this life. Sometimes he doesn't. The day is coming when the books will be opened. Rico Tice, uh, in the series on uh, Christianity Explored, points to a wall covered with photographs of everything that we've thought and everything that we've done. One day the books will be opened, he said. We find exactly the same in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verse 12, the books will be opened when justice will be done. Wrong will not go unpunished. And King David knew something about that too. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows that their day is coming. Now sometimes we're impatient, sometimes we don't want to wait that long. 
We hate it when somebody seems to get away with it. But Solomon reflected on that too and provides us with another principle. Looking again at life under the sun, he says, I said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of animals. The same fate awaits them both. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Now, there are some people who believe in evolution who've seized on these verses, saying that basically there's no difference between us and the animals, that we're all the same. But that's not what Solomon is saying. He reads that God tests us. He's making it clear that by allowing injustice to continue, we are forced to realize that we will die one day. We live in a strange world, where a topsy-turvy world, where there are some people who care more about animal rights than about those of the unborn child. I was watching the television the other day, Stephen Fry is trying to do away with guards wearing bearskins, presumably to protect the bears, but I'm not quite sure whether the bearskins really are made from bear fur, but that's what he's trying to do. But surely there are more important things in life than to make sure that the guards aren't wearing bearskin helmets. Vegans reject the idea of eating dairy products, and yet they're accused of cars heading for a well-known fast food uh, chain stretching for hundreds of yards. You can make of that what you will. Solomon went so far as to say, to wonder whether the human spirit rises upwards and that of the animal goes downwards. Let's face it, on the surface of things, we just don't know. It's through the word of God that we discover that we have a spirit and we are called to account for what we do. But if all we can do is to consider what we can see, taste, touch, hear and smell, then your guess is as good as mine. What he does say is that death awaits us all. And we have to face up to that fact. Carol and I have attended many funerals, or some funerals, where there has been absolutely no religious content in the ceremony at all. And yet somehow they add in the Lord's Prayer for good measure, perhaps just to cover all the bases. But it's very sad when you hear people saying that these people are going to live on in our memories because we all know that we are very forgetful people and that the day will come when we will forget all about them. Death is real and we do have to face it. And even as Christians, in our service for the Lord, we know that God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked. 
Like years ago, I preached in a, a church in Belvedere, and right opposite the lectern where the preacher stands, there is a notice saying, Time is short. Now, I'm not sure whether that's directed to the preacher to make sure that his sermon isn't too long, or, or whether it's a reminder that we've all got to face death sometime. But um, we, we seem to go on sometimes as if there's always tomorrow. We can just keep on going as, as we are. But we can't. We've got to give an account to God. And so it is that we read in verses 16 and 17, God will bring into judgment both righteous and wicked. God tests to see or for us to see what is happening. The only person who truly knows the truth about the human spirit and the spiritual world is God himself. Today, he is speaking to us here. He's offering us a relationship with himself through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we desire that relationship, we need to put our trust in Jesus for our Saviour, as our Saviour. In the last verse of chapter 3, Solomon encourages us to enjoy life in spite of all the injustices in the world. In verse 32, he uh, says this, no, that's gone backwards, sorry. There we are. So I saw that there's nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. Who can bring them to see what will happen after them? God has given us all something to do. He's given us our lot to go forward in this life. Now, your lot might be completely different to mine, as it will be different to that of my brother. But God wants us to work at what he's given us to do. We can't just sit back and fold our arms and let life go on without us. On Remembrance Sunday, three years ago, I spoke about the life of a young man called William Borden. He came to put his trust in the Lord Jesus when he was age 16. He came from a very rich family uh, in the United States and he had, uh, well, the family had great hopes for him taking over uh, the, uh, the family fortune and taking everything forward. But young William, he was convinced that God wanted him to serve him. And so he left college, he went to seminary to train for the mission fields, and he wrote in his Bible, no reserves. He was convinced that God wanted him to go to the Far East to work amongst Muslims. And so he set off, and he wrote again, no retreat. He got to Egypt, where he was going to learn Arabic, and at age 25, he died of spinal meningitis. But before he died, he wrote in his Bible, no regrets. People think, what a waste of a life. 16 to 25, 
He hasn't seen anything yet. And yet the Lord called him to serve, and he was, that was his testimony in his Bible. Compared to him, I have nothing to complain about. I don't think any of us have anything to complain about. We may complain about our circumstances, but that shouldn't stop us from enjoying the lot that the Lord has given to us. We need to replace self-pity with active courage, counting on God day after day to take us forward. But the Lord would only give us the power to make that change if we commit to him and seek to please him. But again, we can't stop there. The next chapter introduces us to uh, another situation, oppression. Oppression should move us to action. Now we know, we've already mentioned in the service, the oppression in North Korea, in China, in other countries of the world. It exists everywhere. Even in so-called democracies, those in charge often believe that they can flaunt the rules of justice. Oppression exists in the business world. Oppression exists in some marriages, in family life, in sport, and sometimes even in churches. In fact, wherever there is power, there's the potential and likelihood of, that it will be abused. So he says, again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed. They have no comfort. Power was on the side of their oppressors. They have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. Better than both is the one who's never been born, who hasn't seen the evil that's done under the sun. Now that may seem very depressing, but we must recognize that he is using hyperbole, that is deliberate exaggeration. Notice how the word oppressed or oppression is repeated three times. Solomon is deeply grieved by what he sees, hence his extreme language. There are many Christians in this country who have little or no idea of what it really means to be oppressed. But we can praise God for organizations like the Salvation Army, like the YMCA, Caring for Life, Christians Against Poverty, and others who are seeking to reach out to those who are oppressed in this country. We have our role to play in that. Then there are overseas missions, like Open Doors, like Wycliffe, like Operation Mobilization, like the Missionary Aviation Fellowship and, and many others who are seeking to reach out to people across the world. We've already mentioned those who are being persecuted in North Korea. We've mentioned the Taliban in Afghanistan, where many Christians have been forced to flee. There are those in Nigeria, other African countries who fear for their lives. 
Many are suffering terrible poverty due largely to drought, even though the neighbouring countries are oil-rich. We have to admit, though, that poverty also exists in the West. It existed in Bible times. One Bible dictionary that I looked at catalogues six categories of poor people in the Old Testament, ranging from peasant farmers to beggars to low-income labourers, the politically exploited and the oppressed. The economic situation in this country following the COVID pandemic and the war in Ukraine has reached breaking point for at least 23% of households. And so there are food banks, shelters, places like Castle Craig, associations like Tough Talk or Reach Out Ministries that are seeking to bring uh, help and release to many people. And if the above realities prove to be overwhelming, our temptation can be, well, where do we start? How can we reach out to help the oppressed? I certainly wouldn't want to be in politics. We are not responsible for trying to do away with all the oppression in the world. Only God can do that. But we are responsible to do our bit. We live in a world of injustice. We live in a world of exploitation. We live in a world of oppression. Every day we hear about abuse of one kind and another. And there have been many movements have been launched because of it. There are associations like the Me Too campaign that followed on in the wake of the Harvey Weinstein scandal in America. But then there's a Candy Lightner who founded MAD, that's Mothers Against Drunk Drivers, back in 1980 when her daughter was killed. There's the Black Lives Matter Association, which started in 2013 after, or um, came to provenance in 2020 after the killing of George Floyd. There's a, a young uh, British, English doctor, Rebecca McLaughlin, who's married to an American, but uh, we won't hold that against her. But uh, she's living in the States and author of a book entitled The Secular Creed. And in a, a message that she gave, or a talk that she gave to the Christian Coalition in 2021, she showed how many of these different movements have got a, a Christian background to them. They, they were born uh, in Christianity and, and, and have moved away. I, I do recommend that book to you. Yes, there is injustice. We face it every day. But we as Christians can make a difference. We have a testimony to share. We have a ministry to undertake. I still have a, a, a document, I thought I brought it with me, but I can't see it here, uh, that was written a few years uh, ago or produced here in Grace Fellowship uh, by Andrew Taylor and other, others setting out uh, a thing in, in four words 
Worship, win, disciple, send. Including preaching, teaching, personal testimony, outreach through PFS and other bodies. And of course, we, we praise God in raising up Jack and, and Becky who are serving the Lord for Jesus. We think of Jess uh, on board the Do Lost Hope in the Far East. There are missions like Grace Baptist Mission, like the Heart Cry Mission, like Caring for Life, European Mission, uh, Missionary Fellowship, uh, and others. I'll come to a close in reminding us of what Philip Yancey wrote in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace. He talks about the film The Last Emperor, the story of a three-year-old boy who was anointed to be the last emperor of China. He lived a life of luxury with a thousand servants at his command and on one occasion somebody asked him, what happens when you do something wrong? And the boy emperor replied, when I do something wrong, someone else is punished. And to demonstrate, he broke a jar and one of his servants was beaten. And Yancey explains that in Christianity, Jesus reversed that. The king was punished. Do you realize that the greatest miscarriage of justice, we've talked about lots of miscarriages of justice this morning, but the greatest one was the fact that the perfect son of God was put on a Roman gibbet and crucified for us because of our sin. Through his death, he has provided eternal life for us. And that life cannot be earned. It's a free gift. That is the immense, the immeasurable grace of God that reaches out to us in this world of oppression and injustice that God sent his own son to die on the cross so that we might be saved and have eternal life. He was oppressed for us. He suffered for us. And those of us who put our trust in him, he invites us to have compassion for those outside as he has had compassion for us. So I pray that as we go forward, he will bless us and keep us looking to him and being faithful. Let's pray. Father, we will never fully understand what it cost you to send your son for us. But we thank you that you undertook that biggest of injustices. You took our sin on yourself so that we might be free. We pray that you will fill our hearts with gratitude and may we bow our heads and humbly worship you and follow you. For we ask it in your name. Amen.